May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Carolyn is out of town this weekend, so Brian and the crew are doing a great job. I want to talk to you this morning about Psalm 51, our psalm for today. The big idea is our God is a forgiving God, and that is comforting to know. Our God is a forgiving God. Story of Psalm 51, we find that uh, Samuel writes about this. Uh, in the spring when armies would go off to war, the army went off to war, but David stayed home. And one day he's kind of walking around the, the, uh, the temple or his palace, and he looks over and he sees this beautiful woman bathing on the rooftop, and he says, ooh, who is she? And he sends for her, and they bring her to him. They sleep together at Bathsheba, and she gets pregnant. Mm, problem. All right, what am I going to do? Her husband is Uriah, and he is off in battle. So he sends for Uriah to get an update on how things are going. And he gets the update, and he says, all right, great, glad you're here. Go home tonight and be with your wife. But he doesn't. And he doesn't because he says to himself, how can I go and be with my wife when my fellow soldiers are out there fighting and I'm home? I can't do it. So David finds out that he didn't go home that night. So he brings them back the next day, gets them drunk. He says, now go home and be with your wife. But he still doesn't do it. So now he writes a, a letter and he gives it to Uriah to give it to the commander of the forces where he's going. And basically it says, put Uriah close to the wall during the heaviest, fiercest fighting. So Uriah goes to the wall, fierce fighting. Uriah is killed. So then the commander is going to send somebody back to tell David how this went. And he says, if the, if the king is upset that people were so close to the wall, tell him that Uriah, the Hittite, is dead. So goes home. Uriah's dead. David thinks all is well. Good. Not so much. God gets a hold of Nathan, the prophet. Nathan comes to see David. He says, let me tell you a story. So there was a man who had herds and flocks. So many he didn't know what to do with them all. And up the road was a man who had a little lamb and it was like a member of the family. In fact, we're told he ate off the master's plate. So the guy with all the lambs and all the sheep and all the herds and everything, he's going to have a party. So what does he do? He goes down the, up, up the road and gets this guy's lamb and brings it to use it. And David said, this man should die. And Nathan says, you are the man. And David knows the jig is up. And this psalm was written to reflect how David felt and thought as he reached out for God's mercy and forgiveness. In fact, at the very beginning of Psalm 51, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is I want to go through this thing verse by verse and just 
Think about what David was thinking and feeling. Hopefully, it's the way God's people think about and feel about their own sin, my sin. When I'm out of step with God, where do I go? What do I think? How do I feel? Well, Psalm 51 opens with a prayer of forgiveness. He writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me through and through from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He asked for three things in those two verses. First, he asked for mercy because sin is a crime. It's a crime against God. And when you're asking for mercy, you're not asking for justice. When you ask for justice, you're asking for what you deserve. He does not want what he deserves. He wants mercy. He wants what he doesn't deserve. The second thing he says is blot out. Because sin is like a debt, something that is owed and it must be repaid. And finally, he says, wash me and cleanse me because sin is like an ugly stain that has to be cleaned. He knows he doesn't deserve forgiveness, but unlike, unlike some people who think they do, it's only because of God's love and mercy that he can ask for forgiveness. So next, David takes responsibility for his sin in verses 3 and 4. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight, so that thou art justified in thy sentence and blameless in thy judgment. You can do whatever you want. I really do deserve it. I really do deserve it. He's feeling that guilt. Not everybody feels that way. A man entered a bar, bought a glass of beer, and then immediately threw it in the bartender's face. Quickly grabbing a napkin, he helped the bartender dry his face while he apologized with great remorse. I'm so sorry, he said. I have this compulsion to do this. I fight it, but I don't know what to do about it. Well, you better do something about your problem, the bartender replied. You can be sure I'll remember you and will never serve you another drink until you get help. It was months before the man faced the bartender again. When he asked for a beer, the bartender refused. Then the man explained that he had been seeing a psychiatrist and that his problem was solved. Convinced it was now okay to serve him, the bartender poured him a drink at the man took the glass and splashed the beer into the bartender's astonished face. I thought you were cured, the shocked bartender screamed. I am, said the man. I still do it. I just don't feel guilty about it anymore. Mm -mm, not a good place to be. Or guilt is like the red, light, red warning light on the dashboard of your car. You can either stop and deal with the trouble or you can break the light. David has decided to deal with the trouble, and God wants us to deal with the trouble as well and not paste over the light. Again, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't make excuses. He now faces the fear of repeating the same sin. In verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's talking about our sin nature at birth, Nobody taught me to be selfish. Nobody taught me to be self-centered. You did not have to teach your children not to share their toys. It just comes naturally. 
That's that sin nature that we're born with. And I was saying earlier, you can see it as a biblical worldview versus a secular worldview. A biblical worldview sees things very, very differently than a secular worldview. Um, the book I'm going to be doing on Wednesday night, Faithfully Different, Pew uh, Research, Barna Research, they have, they've looked at this and they've decided as close as they can get to it that the percentage of Americans that hold a biblical worldview is now roughly 6%. 6 percent see this as God's word authoritative for our lives that's kind of where we are he sees that sin is not just a surface problem it is deep within us it's kind of like how we come out it's who we are unless something happens he gives an eightfold path to help us from falling back into sin in verse six he says behold Thou desirest truth in the, in the inward being, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. He says, teach me wisdom. Show me the reality of, and truth about myself. Help me to see myself honestly. Don't sugarcoat it. I, I want to be honest with myself. Who am I really? In order to have this happen, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with God. And we also have to have some people in our lives, as I always say, even if it's just one person who will tell you the truth, who you will listen to. And it will be somebody who loves you and cares about you and wants what's best for you, even though you may not want to hear it. Okay? And Shirley is with us. God bless you, kiddo. Sitting in Raymond's chair, I see. Raymond passed away Friday morning, and her... That was Raymond's reserved. Mm. All right, where are we? Yeah, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a sponge-like plant that they would use to apply blood to the doorpost or the altar or whatever it was that was being purified. This means the old life has to die, and it's really a foreshadowing of Christ's blood sacrifice on the cross. Do what it takes to make me clean. Do what it takes to make me right with you. Verse 80 says, fill me with joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. What he's saying here is, speak to me, God. Let me know there's hope. Let me know that all is not lost because of what I've done. All is not lost. Sometimes the enemy wants to get in there and say, there is no recovery from what you've done, from where you are. There's no going back. No one will forgive you. No one will love you. You cannot be restored. Even God has turned his back on you. How could you? And David's saying, that's, that's not the way God operates, and that is not the way God operates. There is always hope. There is always a future. He says, hide, hide, thy, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
If we're to be free from falling again, we must be able to leave the past behind, learn from it, but not wallow in it. Sometimes the enemy wants us to to walk through life like this. Literally looking at the past, but not looking to where you're going. And so we're living in the past. We're reliving all these things that we have done that separated us from, from God, from others, and even sometimes from ourselves. And God wants us not to be doing this, but he wants us to turn around and walk toward him, to the future, to the light, into hope, into the promise. Okay? You can learn from what you've done so that it doesn't get repeated. And you can see the signs maybe when starts, things start to happen. Been there, done that, not going there again. But don't wallow in it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew, renew a right spirit within me. Hmm. I need a new heart. And I need a right spirit. He really is talking about salvation and transformation. Ever since I was a priest, when you do the ablutions, the ablutions is where the acolyte pours the water over the fingers and the hands of the priest, I say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51, verse 10. I've done that since 1993 when I got ordained a priest. In 2006, Kathy and I went to Ireland and found out that was the Curran motto. Our family motto is Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I've been saying it for years and have no idea that it had anything to do with my family. I, thought, I just thought that was kind of cool. Verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51. We just sang it. Psalm 51. praying for the assurance that the Holy Spirit would be with him. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can count on that. 13, he says, I will, then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will return to thee. Daniel outlines the ministry that can follow when we receive this kind of forgiveness. And it's interesting it's interesting when people come alongside someone else to help restore them, whether they're teaching and, and coming alongside out of experience or out of theory. People who have been through it and have recovered are much more able to 
identify with people who are going through it. They've experienced it. They walked into it, they experienced it, and then they lived out Psalm 51. And they've been restored. They've been given that new heart. That clean spirit is back. And now they can help someone else experience that as well. And then 14 through 17. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy deliverance. O Lord, open thou thou my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. For thou hast no delight in sacrifice. Were I to give burnt offering, thou wouldst not be pleased. All God wants is a contrite heart. He doesn't want ritual sacrifice. I didn't realize it at the time, but I, mean, I, I guess I did. I just recalled it when I was going through this. But Psalm 51, verse 16 was very imp- in, important to me in my conversion experience, where he says, 16. For thou hast no delight in sacrifice when I give a burnt offering. All my life I had been taught that your relationship to God was based on how good you were, how good I was. I was offering up these ritual sacrifices, these burnt offerings to God, and they weren't going anywhere. Because God's standard is perfection, and this is the sacri- this is the only sacrifice that counts. This is it. Not me, not what I'm doing, but what he's doing. He did for me already. And when I, be- I came to Christ, I read that line, and I realized what I'd been doing my whole life. And that s- smoke that I thought was rising up to God was just going nowhere. Our good works are like filthy rags in the sight of a holy and righteous God. If we think our good works are going to reconcile us with him, we're wrong. In verses 18 and 19, he realized he's put his kingdom in jeopardy by his sin, and after repentance and forgiveness, the sacrifice will be real and not just a ritual. But then God will really receive it. So I don't know where you are today. Uh, I don't know if you're like David who needed forgiveness drowning in a sea of guilt. I don't know if you're rejoicing because God has forgiven and restored you. But wherever you are today, please don't leave here burdened by your sin. What I want to do is something I've never done before. Doing more and more of that lately. I want us to stand, and we're going to go through the service of reconciliation. This is like going to confession with the priest. Most of you have not done this before. And it's going to come up on the screen. And as we go through this, it says the priest and the penitent. So when we start out, it's you and I together. All right? And then I'll kind of direct you as we go. So we start by saying, have mercy on me, O God, according to your... uh, Stop now. Do you recognize where this first part of the reconciliation service comes from? What psalm might this be? Thank you. Let's start again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. In your great compassion, blot out my offenses. 
Wash me through and through from my wickedness and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions only too well and my sin is ever before me. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy upon us. And you say, may God in his love enlighten your heart that you may remember in truth all your sins and his unfailing mercy. Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the perfect offering for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now in the presence of Christ and of me, his minister, confess your sins with a humble and obedient heart to Almighty God, our Creator and our Redeemer. And you say, Holy God. take a moment to think about what you might want to get right with God. Continuing with therefore, Will you turn again to Christ as your Lord? Do you then forgive those who have sinned against you? May Almighty God in mercy receive your confession of sorrow and of faith, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Our Lord Jesus Christ who has left power to his church to absolve all sinners who truly repent and believe in him of his great mercy, forgive you all your sins, and by, his, by the, his authority committed to me, I absolve you from all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now there is rejoicing in heaven, for you were lost and are found, you were dead, and are now alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go in peace, the Lord has put away all your sins. Have a seat.
Well, the good news is our God is a forgiving God. Amen.